Good morning, church family. Welcome to the Lord's Day here at Evergreen SUV. And uh, I love how we keep using that term because it is the Lord's Day. We celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead every week. That's why we call it the Lord's Day. That's why the church shifted from the seventh day to worshiping on the first day of the week. And so I just want to read this scripture here on Ezra chapter 1, verse 4. The context of this is that the Israelites were in exile for seven years. They're coming back to Israel. They came back to Jerusalem, and they need to rebuild the temple. And this is what uh, uh, Ezra writes in chapter 1, verse 4, Ezra. Every survivor... At whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a free will offering, a free will offering out of the abundance of the heart for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Ezra called for the people to give free will offering to help rebuild the temple. Okay, and so we get to be part of this. We get to contribute to this as we're calling for a first fruits offering November 17th. So please continue to pray for us. This is free will. This is not out of compulsion. This is out of the abundance of your heart. So pray for November 17th. Okay, so please pray with me as we enter time of preaching the word. We'll also pray for the first fruits offerings. Father, we thank you for this time to uh, come to you, Lord. Thank you that in Ezra, You made it a privilege to give to the work of your hands, to support your house. Thank you for graciously providing our church property here in La Puente. Thank you for how you have covered us and taken care of us for so many years. So Father God, I would pray for this first fruits offering which is gonna be used to pay down the loan. We pray, Lord, that you stir in all of our hearts what you would have us dedicate to you, Lord, not out of compulsion, not grudgingly, but out of heart of worship. Because we want to. We, instead of saying, I have to, we're saying we get to be part of this. So thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray that you will provide for the needs of our church. But more importantly, I pray, Lord, that you continue to do heart surgery in all of us. Allow us to repent of things that compete for you being the treasure of our hearts completely. So I pray this for us. Please do a miracle in the hearts of all of us here at Evergreen SGV. So Father, I pray that, uh, that you will bless the preaching of your word today. Allow us to know you more through your preaching of your word. Allow us to know your heart. Allow us to treasure your son even more through the preaching of your word. So Holy Spirit, I pray your word will be ministered to our hearts right now through the preaching of your word. And I pray you minister uniquely to our hearts so that we will love your son, Jesus Christ, more. So thank you for this opportunity to huddle around your word and to worship you through the preaching of your word and hearing your word preached. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're uh, continuing on with our fifth sermon of our Treasure in Christ series. I don't know if this feels like a, uh, so much of a stewardship series to you guys. It doesn't really feel that like that to me. Really, in some ways, we're preaching the same thing. We're preaching Christ and loving him with all of our hearts and, and just it manifests in our giving, perhaps. But really, what we're, our leadership, our, our desires for us to love Christ even more. So today, today we're talking about treasuring Christ in our pattern of giving. This is a little bit uncharted territory for me in the sense of this. Usually, 
where I believe where we want to live and camp out of is just taking chunks of scripture and marching down, expositing, explaining text. Today we're going to kind of go from verse to verse to verse to verse. I think once in a while we need to do this so we have a, a clearer picture of what, we, what it means to give. What does it mean to give under the new covenant? Okay, so, we, and we've seen over the last couple of weeks how the Macedonian church was gracious and generous, and we've seen how Paul used them as a model. And we'll see today further uh, on how Paul calls people to give. So just as a launching point, we'll start off in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. And this is what, where the reading of the scripture will take place. So please rise and turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. I'll be reading at the NASB version. Paul describes the, Corinthian, uh, the Macedonian church to the Corinthians. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of the liberal, liberality. They were generous. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Verse 5, and this, not as we had expected, beyond what Paul expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us, the leadership, the apostles, by the will of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word I pray what is taught will be clear. I pray what is taught will not be a prescription, but be very devotional. Will we very uh, much elevate our view of you, Jesus. Elevate our love for you, Jesus. And giving would just simply be an overflow, a byproduct of what's going on in our hearts. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So please have a seat. So the first point, I'm going to get to it. We have a shorter sermon today as we're going to be able to worship Christ in taking communion today. But first point, it will be out of 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Okay, it'll be up behind me too. But first point is this, giving that is regular and systematic. Christ calls us to give on a regular basis and a systematic basis. So 1 Corinthians 2, but I'm going to back up to 1 and then we'll get into 2. Paul writes first Corinthians to the Corinthian church, perhaps six months earlier than first, Second Corinthians. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do, so do you also. Verse two: On the first day of the of every week, the Lord's day, each one of you is to put aside and save, as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Now, what is Paul talking about? Now concerning the collection for the saints, who is he talking about? He's talking about the Jerusalem church, right? We talked about it last week, and I don't know about you, as I sit back and study the text and think about the Jerusalem church, when I think of Jerusalem, I think of the capital, right? The Mecca of, of, of Judaism, the capital of Israel, the city of David. How could they be in poverty, right? I'm thinking, well, maybe it should be the other way around. Maybe Jerusalem should be supporting Macedonia. Why is it like that? Well, it's very simple. As I study this, how did Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church get in that situation is this. Remember when Pentecost happened in Acts, when, 
and, and, and uh, Peter preaches and 3,000 people are instantly become Christians. Many pilgrims were coming down from all around the world and the regions to worship in Jerusalem. These were Jewish pilgrims. And all of a sudden, boom, a heart explosion takes place and they trust Christ. And a lot of these pilgrims decided to stay in Jerusalem because, man, I want to sit under the apostles' teachings. I need to learn more about this Jesus. You'd probably do the same thing, too, if you had a chance to sit under Peter and these disciples. And they did. And what did the Christians do who lived in Jerusalem, who had homes? They took them in. They didn't let them be homeless and live on the streets. They said, come on in. Well, if we, any of us did this on a regular basis, perhaps some of us already do, it's a strain on your finances, Instead of your family unit, you got two, three family units to take care of. That's one. Number two, now remember what happened earlier. Jesus was crucified. They murdered Jesus. So thousands of people are all saying, I believe in the Christ who you crucified, Jewish leaders. Persecution. Persecution was taking place at an alarming rate. If you said, I love Christ, you basically lost your job. You're not hanging out in the temple anymore. You lost your Jewish uh, uh, status. They're out. So that's why in Acts, why do you think that people were selling their property? I mean, that's the last ditch effort, right? If you're selling off your home, I mean, things are pretty tough. They're selling off their homes to support the, the brotherhood and the sisterhood. And there's almost so many times you could sell property, right? And I, you know, how many times can you sell your home? That's once. So this is what was happening now. So Paul was going around the churches throughout Greece and other areas to say, hey, they need your help. These brothers and sisters are in a tough place. This is what happened. And so right here, this is what the, uh, the collection for the saints is talking about. He goes to Galatia, it says. And then in verse 2, I want to camp on this a little bit. Giving should be regular and systematic. Regular, first, on the first day of the week. On the first day of every week, each one of you. This is regular giving. This is just normal way of life as part of worship. That's why we take offering every Lord's Day. It's just an expression of worship. Just like singing is an expression of worship. Just like hearing the word preach is an expression of worship. Just like serving one another. Some of us teach. Some of us serve. Perhaps some of us are praying for one another. This is an expression of worship. So is giving financially. So this is just a regular part of their life. This is just a mindset. You know, and just like, how can I contribute to the church family? Whether than perhaps in America, it, it could be, does the church give me what I need, what I want? The mindset is, how can I contribute to the church family? Amen? And in verse 2 goes on to say that every, each, of, each of you, that means every household, everyone who's able to contribute financially is to prayerfully consider before the Lord, each one of you, before the Lord, what are you calling me to give, Lord? And it's systematic. It says, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, as what you can afford you to put aside and say, this is what we're going to give to the church. And, and then who are you supposed to give it? The local church. Which church family, which team do you consider yourself of? If you consider Evergreen SGV your church home, this is what you're saying. I'm going to contribute to the work of Evergreen SGV, and I'm going to trust the leadership to steward this well. In Acts chapter 4, as they're selling their things, their, their properties, they laid them at the apostles' feet. 
All right, Acts chapter 4, 34, 35, if you unlock it, they laid it at the leadership's feet to use however the leadership felt was that Lord was leading them to use it. And I think to myself, man, that's a lot of responsibility for the apostles, even for my role here as one of the pastors here. But I thought to myself, well, how did I look at my pastors in the past? I looked at my pastors as I'm entrusting my, this the health of my souls to these men. I'm trusting that they're teaching me the Bible faithfully. I'm trusting that they're going to uh, confront me and admonish me if they see me in sin. I trust that they're going to be praying for me. So uh, if I could trust my soul care to these men, I certainly could trust my finances. Right? So these people are laying them at the apostles' feet, say, hey, you got to watch over everything. And not only that, I trust you to steward this well. Before God, I trust you to do this. So this is what they did. And so it's regular and systematic, not sporadic or impulsive, like, or random. Like, this is not a random event. This is like you set it aside every month or every week, however you do it, or every other week. My, our family, we do it monthly. We already have basically a set amount unless there's an extra income that comes in. And basically, we have a set amount, and we honor the Lord in our first fruits of our income. This is what it is, and, and we adjust everything accordingly. This is what it is. It's regular. It's systematic. And if there's kind of an extra thing that comes in, then we'll, we'll offer off of that too. Okay? And I think it's helpful to have a set amount. It's regular. It's systematic. I know where this is going to. And, and, and there's a reason why collectively we could do more instead of being spread out, right? Point number two, treasuring Christ in our pattern of giving, giving that is regular and systematic. Point number two, giving according to our ability. We'll be in 2 Corinthians 8. Back, pretty much we'll be saying 2 Corinthians 8. And 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, I believe it's behind me. Bible says this, for if the readiness is present, what is readiness? That means your eagerness, your enthusiasm, your zeal, your desire to do this is present. It is acceptable according to what a person has. What you have, comma, not according to what he does not have. So the first thing I want to just hammer across here is this. Paul, he just constantly talks about, it's about you, your readiness. What are you eager to do from your own heart? He never prescribes this is how much you're supposed to give. If, if tithing, talked about in the Mosaic Covenant, was something that he would, could charge the Corinthians or would charge the Corinthians, this would be a great time to say, hey, you're called to tithe. He doesn't go there. He just says, hey, if the readiness is present, if your eagerness from your own heart, of your own accord, and what Paul teaches is free will giving. It's free will. There's no compulsion. There's no force. There's no pressure. This is what you actually want to do for the Lord. It's just a natural thing. Christ owns you and he said, this is, this is, of course I want to be part of this. The Macedonians are so eager, they're begging, Paul, please let us participate in this, right? There's some eagerness, there's some zeal right there. So God will look at your heart as you give. This is what he cares about. And, 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 and basically he'll judge you according to what you have. I believe uh, financial wealth is a gifting. Not all of us are going to be gifted in the same way. Some of us are wealthy. Some of us are not. 
I'm in a different place I was than a couple years ago. So we, God has a spectrum. Some of us could teach, gifted or teaching. Some of us have the gift of compassion. Some of us have the gift of mercy. Some of us have the gift of prayer. But whatever God's gifted you and you're called to exercise in that area of giving to the church, we're all called to exercise to the ability that we have. God's not going to judge one person and say, hey, this person gave this much and this person gave less. It is based upon your desire to do it and according to the ability to give. Pretty simple. I see that's pretty straightforward right there. Verse 12 at the end says, not according to what he does not have. So students, if you're not working, you don't have much to give in that way. I get that. But if you're working part-time or you have some kind of an income, well, what a great time to start exercising this right now. Start growing your generosity muscles right now. Start training yourself right now. So when you have more responsibilities, like you're staring at a, a bunch of children that you need to support and there's some pressure there, it's just kind of you've already been doing it this way. What a great opportunity to start right now. Faithfulness, brothers and sisters, what God is calling for. Are you faithful with what God has given you? Are you faithful with God's money that he's given you? It's really God's money, right? He's just entrusting you to take care of it. He will judge you on your faithfulness. Point number three, let's, we're moving along here. Treasuring Christ in our pattern of giving, giving that is regular and systematic, giving according to our ability, and point number three, giving that is sacrificial. 2 Corinthians 8, 3, let's back up a little bit. The Macedonian church. For I testify, Paul writes about the Macedonians, that according to their ability, we discovered that, according, they were a poor church too, by the way. They were a poor church. According to their ability, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Once again, I want to camp out on Paul's appeal or Paul's emphasis. They gave of their own accord. Not under compulsion. Not because they're pressured to. They gave of their own accord. They even start begging, please, Paul, let us participate in this. They gave of their own accord. Once again, your own desire. Once again, how much do you treasure Christ? Once again, do we understand the weight and, and, and the steep price that Christ has paid to save you and me? Free will giving. Free will giving. Macedonians were poor, but they gave beyond their ability, sacrificially. That, that, that's what it means. Now, what does it look like to live sacrificial or give sacrificially? You know, I thought Auntie Etz did a great job last week talking about giving the history of Evergreen a little bit, how she compared to the early Evergreen church, the Macedonian church, right? But I really, as I was standing back, it really caught on to me, Auntie Etz, what you said about, you know, you gave up certain wants to meet needs. That really resonates and makes sense what you just said. So I'm going to talk about needs and wants a little bit. I can't be overly exhaustive in talking about every need and want, but I'll point out some of the obvious ones. Needs, let's start off with that. Are you called to take care of your family, to have food and, and shelter and clothing, you know, certain necessities, you know? Maybe even blessing the family or others in, in, a, in a certain way from time to time. Absolutely. 1 Timothy 5.18 says, You're worse than a non-believer if you don't take care of your own. It's a command. It's a charge from God. You are called, if you have family, or even for others that you're committed to taking care of, to take care of them. No question. That is an absolute need. Is it, pastor, is it okay to save? 
Or am I supposed to give all my disposable income away? Or am I supposed, can I save? Yes. Proverbs 21, 20 talks about, it's a good thing to save. It's bad to just use up everything. So yes, these are very basic tenets. Absolutely. Common sense things. It, it should do these things. You need to do these. You're commanded to do these things. Okay? Now I'm going to just, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to look to Luke here. I think we could point out some things about what does wants look like. All right? Luke 12 uh, 15 to 21, our Lord teaches on covetousness and hoarding. All right, I'm going to read this for us, and he gives a parable. Then he said to them, beware, this is Jesus teaching, and be on your guard against every form of greed. This is, what, this is what we're called to guard ourselves against, greed. For the love of money is the root of all evil, Bible says. For not even one even one when, when has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You're not defined by what you have, Jesus is saying. Although the world may say, hey, you are what you own, you are what you drive, you are where you went to, what your job is and how much income you have. That's for sure the world is piling that on us. You get a lot of respect if you have money and you have a lot of possessions and you drive a certain thing. I get that. But God says something else. Your, world, your life is not defined by what you own. Verse 16, he, he told him a parable, saying the land of a rich man was very productive. It was a farmer. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? What shall he do? I got it. Verse 18, he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains, all my grain and my goods. Okay, I mean... That sounds pretty logical. makes sense. But verse 19 kind of gives us a picture into his heart. This is where it gets very dangerous. See if this applies for any of us in here. And I will say to my soul, you hear this now, I will say to my soul, he's having a conversation with himself, but he's talking into his inner self. What is most critical? What's most important? What defines this person? Soul, you have many goods. Right? He's talking to himself. He's preaching this to his soul. Laid up fruit, many years to come. You're set. It's all good. Take your ease. That's the goal. I don't have to rely on God anymore. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have you ever thought to yourself, have you ever preached to yourself, if I only had this, I'd be set. For me, it wasn't necessary money. For me, I know it sounds frivolous, but for me, it was being a football player at USC. That was like, if I only had this, I'd be set. That was my identity. Money wasn't so much that for me, but is that for some of us in here? Or it could be anything else. Have you thought to yourself, soul, if I had this, I'd be pretty set. This will define who I am. This will give me everything that I want. Significance, security. This is what he's talking about right here. He's preaching this to himself. Have you preached that message to yourself before? Right here, we're talking about hoarding. Right here, we're talking about hoarding, not saving. This is hoarding what this man is desiring to have abundance so he doesn't have to worry about a thing anymore. He doesn't have to worry about God anymore. He doesn't have to rely on that, just, God help me. He doesn't have to think about those things anymore. He goes, I got it. My stock account's set, my bank account's set. I don't know how many farmers are in here, maybe none. But let's talk about our bank accounts, our financial storehouses. Is that what you think? Look at how this story ends. 
Verse 20, But God said to him, You fool. Pretty strong, direct words from our Lord, right? You fool. Mine has apostrophe, you know, you fool. It's not, I don't know how quiet or gentle that one was. This very night, your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. This is a very much a warning here. Hoarding, hoarding. Wanting to live with ease, luxurious living. This is, these are very worrisome things. So the trick is this, okay, what do I want versus what do I need? You have to take it before the Lord. I think God definitely wants us to enjoy the things he's given us. Right? I get that. But what he's cautioning us is about financial independence. This is what he's talking about. This is exactly what he's talking about, financial independence, which says that I don't need God anymore. Right? This is the world that we live in. I, um, a pastor that I met, told, uh, heard him tell the story before about how he went to Africa to, uh, he's an African-American pastor and, and his church is in Dallas, church family's in Dallas, so he flew to Africa to preach at his friend's church, African pastor church, and he found out that the uh, transportation system was shut down for that day, on the Lord's day, and he's like, oh man, I guess it's going to be half full when I preach. And so he gets up there to preach at this church, and it's packed, wall-to-wall people. And he preaches, and he's kind of he's surprised. And he talks to his African pastor friend and says, man, if this was Dallas, Texas, if we had this situation, it would be half empty. Pastor replies to our Dallas pastor and says, you know what, Tony, it's because um, in America, you think you need God. In Africa, we know we need God. For every drink, for every food that we eat, is praying to God for your daily bread. Where in America, you could pull out your credit card and go to a local fast food place if you get hungry. It's almost like you're eating too much is the problem here in America, right? So, and Tony was like, "Whoa, wow, are we there, brothers and sisters? Are we there? Is that where we're at? Where it's like, man, I." I want to get set. Is that where you students will choose a line of employment and will get you set like this man with his barns full? Is that what you're looking at? Be careful. Be careful. So those anti-ets talked about this. Living sacrificially. I like this. You know, I'm just going to, what does living sacrificially look like? This is not exactly her words, but paraphrase maybe, right? Hopefully I don't mess this up. It says, uh, living sacrifice, sacrificing personal wants to meet the needs of others. This is sacrificial living. I mean, they, I mean she talked about like she, didn't, she, they, she or they held off on buying a new car, right? So that she could be more generous with her giving or holding off buying the big screen TV. I remember her talking about that. I mean, perhaps it means scaling down your family vacations, right? Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe eating out less. We love to eat out. Our family loves to eat out. Maybe that's what it means. You eat out less. You're giving up your wants so that you could meet needs of others. That's sacrificial giving. Okay? Fourth point, let's move on. Treasuring Christ in our pattern of giving, giving that is regular and systematic, giving according to our ability, not according to our, that what we don't have, giving that is sacrificial, we just covered that, and fourthly, giving that is joyful. Joyful. That's 2 Corinthians, let's go back there, 9, uh, 7. 9, 7 talks about this. 
It'll be behind me. Each, of, each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart. There it is again, purpose. What have you decided in your heart, your readiness, your purpose? What have you set before the Lord? This is what I want to do. See how Paul's all about the heart? What have you purpose in your heart? It, when I see that word purpose in your heart, one of my favorite Bible verses, Daniel 1.8, it's in the, out of the King James Version, says, Daniel purpose in his heart, he will not sin against God by defiling himself with the king's choice food. He purpose, he made up his mind, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. I want to do this on my own. And he had a lot of pressure to go the other way with it. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. There it is again. Free will giving. Not grudgingly or on a compulsion. That means reluctantly, remorseful, regretful, mourning. Shucks, I have to do this. That's the attitude that God doesn't want. Brothers and sisters, I want you guys to receive the full treasures in heaven. So make, that's why we're spending so much time on the heavens. And you may be saying, Pastor, you, you, we have a lot of needs of the church. Of course I understand that. I might feel it more than anybody else, but it's way more important to our Lord that our hearts are right as we're giving to the church. That's way more important. That's what he's looking at. And if your heart is right, the amount will be right. Free will giving. The Bible says this, for God loves, loves a cheerful giver. Once again, God is looking at your heart. And here's a, here's a, I'm going to just go to Matthew 6. Pastor Dan talked about Matthew 6. I'm going to go to Matthew 6 too. I was debating if I should go here, but I'm going to go to Matthew 6. And here's another uh, thought as you do give. I'm going to read this for us. I think it would be self-explanatory. Matthew 6, Jesus teaches, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. I want you guys to give, I want us to have rewards in heaven. If you're doing it to be noticed, if you're doing it to be visible, then you forfeit your reward. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as a hypocrite do in the synagogue. That's what some of these wealthy givers used to do back in the synagogue and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. If that's your goal is to be looked on fondly or respectfully by other people, admired by other people, you already receive reward. Truly, I say to you, you have, you have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Quietly, secretly. That avoids temptation. That kind of avoids even if, if you know, heart even going there. So that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will, will reward you. We want maximum rewards, brothers and sisters. All right, this is a good motivation to have, I believe, because we're going to throw these rewards at the feet of Christ. It's going to be a joyful moment in eternity. But secrecy, see how God is just looking into the secret places of our heart? This is the key here. Readiness, purpose in your heart, giving of your own accord, secrecy in your heart. This is what God is looking at right now. So what does new covenant giving look like? All right, so I don't believe a tithe is what's prescribed to give for new covenant Christians. A tithe meaning 10%. I'll explain that in a second more. But so Rocky, what does this look like? If it's not a fixed demand, if it's not a tithe, all right, what does this look like? And you may be asking or thinking to yourself right now, well, Jesus didn't, Condemned the tithe? Well, just remember, Christ walked the earth under the old covenant. He hasn't died and resurrected yet. Remember that. 
All right, so no New Testament author prescribes the tithe. None of them. Paul easily could have slipped it in on 2 Corinthians 8 to exhort the Corinthians to step up. He easily could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't. He appeals to their hearts. The 20, in matter of fact, the tithe was really a 23 and a third to, to remind you guys. It was more of taxation to run the theocracy of Israel, the government of Israel. Okay? It wasn't even a 10%. It was a 23 and a third, three different tithes. But I, I like what Randy Alcorn writes. It helps to read and just to hear other people's scholars' thoughts and people who have been prayerfully uh, studying this. And he uses an analogy of the tithe. If a tithe is something that you want to use, meaning a, the 10%, he just says, you know what, That's a, what a great training wheels if you, to help you get on, gain momentum in your area of giving. If you struggle in giving financially, and this is, I would imagine, some of us do, because Randy Alcorn also says the average giving for uh, evangelical Americans is at 2.5%. Right? I, I, I don't know, because I don't look, I just, full disclosure, I don't look at the numbers and people's names, and I, I don't know that. I want to know what our family gives, but I'd imagine our church family is more generous than that. I mean, look where we're at. You, you can't pay the things and the things that it requires to be here without being generous. But the average American evangelical is at 2.5%. And so if you, if you struggle in, in the area of being generous with your giving to the church, perhaps use the tithe as a training wheel to gain momentum, to feel like, okay, this is what it feels like to ride on a bike, the financial giving bike. It's, it's two wheels, it's, it's a little less stable, but man, it's, it, it, we're making it. God, you're gracious. God, you're faithful. We're making it as a family. I mean, to be honest with you, I'll be, we're, I'm at a different place than I was. Like I said, and we're not giving the same amount that we did a couple years ago when I was coaching pro football. The number, actual amount is much smaller, but I tell you, I feel it more, right? God looks at the heart, not the amount. God looks at what you are thinking and is this act of worship unto the Lord. So I think if, if, a, if a 10% is where it helps you to start on your road to generosity, go for it. It's not a prescription. This is more of a guideline. It's, hey, if you need this to help you out, go for it. I, I, but I can't faithfully preach this. This is what's prescribed to our church family. If anything, I'd say 23 and a third then if we're going to go there. Let's just be consistent. So I can't say, but if a 10% is where you, this helps you, man, God bless you. God bless you, and, and, and just keep praying to the Lord that he will grow your generosity. <clears throat> so what is new covenant giving? I'm going to throw up a slide behind me. Hopefully it's grammatically correct, but this is what I put together. New covenant giving is motivated out of our love and gratitude for Christ. We practice out of our love and gratitude for Christ. We practice free will giving, which is joyful, sacrificial, and regular. Yeah, there, there's a level of faith here for me as a pastor who, who is definitely interested in taking care of the financial needs of our church because there's a lot. It supports the building. It supports our pastors, our wi their wives, our children, missionaries. There's a ministry. I feel it. And I, I, say, I, I get it. It's not as concrete as a, as a pledge card or a 10%. I get that. But I'm trusting that the Spirit will elevate your love of Christ and educate you through the word what this means. And you will be obedient. I have faith that the Lord will provide through his saints here. 
If I go add one charge though, or one challenge perhaps, not a charge but a challenge. If the people gave dutifully 23 and a third under an old covenant where blessing was predicated on obedience and we're part of a new covenant that's infinitely better. Christ died for you and me. What? And it's graced us with eternal life. It's set. It is finished. If they gave 23 and a third, how much more should we give? It's sealed for us, brothers and sisters. He who was rich became poor so that we could become rich, the Bible says. Does that challenge you a little bit? Well, I'm not going to leave you up with a challenge. I'm, I'm going to, devotionally, I want to give you a little something here. 2 Corinthians 8, okay, we're camping down 2 Corinthians now, finishing up here, guys. How do we get there? <laughs> you may be like, Pastor, you convicted me. Uh, yeah, I may be there, I'm not there. But I want to help you get there. All right, my job is to feed the sheep. It's not just to give you a command or this is what you're supposed to do or how to do it. That's really, how do we get there? Let's look at the Macedonian church. How did the Macedonians get there, right? How did the Macedonians get there? I'm just going to just kind of quickly go through the five verses that we read at the beginning of, of the sermon. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. It's a grace to be a generous person. It is by God's grace. It is completely unnatural. It's counterintuitive. The society, the culture does not support this. It's a grace. Verse 2. Here, let's go to verse 2. Why were they particularly generous to the Jerusalem church? This gives us a lot of insight, and I think this will explain many of us in here. Verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, they were persecuted church, brothers and sisters. They understood what is meant to be hated by the society and the culture. They felt the pressure of the society. They were greatly afflicted. That means they were persecuted. So now that they hear the Jerusalem church, they're being persecuted, they're out of jobs. Some of them being hunted down, arrested, and killed. How, do you think that, sh that had a part in the Macedonian heart? You bet. They had an empathy, they had a compassion. I know what that's like, it's hard. Let's keep reading. Their abundance of joy and their deep, they, they had great joy even amidst the persecution. And their deep poverty, 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 they were poor. And when they heard uh, the financial hardships of, that the Jerusalem church was poor, do you think they could relate? You bet. God uses the trials that we go through. Do you know if you've been through some kind of health illness, that you have a certain empathy for those who are going through the same thing? I have a certain empathy for our brothers who are looking for a kidney. Like I, my father-in-law went through that. It's hard. You have a simple empathy for single moms if you are one or you've been raised by one. You know how hard it is, right? There's an empathy that God graces you with. That's how God graced the Macedonians be so extremely generous to the Jerusalem church. They could relate. They could identify with them. And this is verse 3, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave their own accord, out of their own accord, they gave sacrificially, begging us, please, Paul, let us be part of this. Please, please. And Paul might have been thinking, man, you don't got much. I, I feel bad asking. No, no, I think Paul was like, man, it's a blessing to give. Yes, bring, bring what you can. Paul knew the treasures that they're storing up in heaven. <clears throat> Look at verse 5. This is the key here. Same point that Paul has been making. 
And this, not as we had expected. It was beyond what Paul thought it was going to happen. It's like, wow, these guys were so generous, beyond what we thought. How did it happen? But they first gave themselves to the Lord. <laughs> That's it. Have you given yourself to the Lord? Have you given yourself to the Lord? Do you believe that Christ owns every part of you? And finance is just, just the next thing, just a way of life. The Macedonians knew how much Christ gave up for them. And today we get to worship Christ in the taking of communion. What a great Lord's Day. What a great Lord's Day. The bread or the cracker that we're about to partake represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was pierced. He was mocked. The cup represents the blood that was shed by Christ. He who was rich became poor so that we could become rich, the Bible says. This is time to remember how much our Lord gave up for us. Don't you think that affected the Macedonians to some levels? It dominated the Macedonians. It absolutely defined the Macedonians how generous they wanted to be because our Lord gave up everything. Macedonians aren't the example, the model. Christ is the model that we look to. So I say this, you're welcome. Whoever is a Christian, you, you consider Christ Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, please come, come. And as we talked about last week, hey, if there's an opportunity to mix in, and just amongst the brotherhood and sisterhood to take communion together. Do it. Do it. Do it. Let's grow in the brotherhood and sisterhood at the, brother, at the, at the table, at our Lord's table. If you're not a Christian, please do not take communion because our Lord does not call for non-Christians to take communion. This is a bad thing if you do this. You, this is not a good thing you want to be part of. But if you are, if you're a visitor, please. So let's pray, and I'm going to make sure, I'm going to leave some time uh, empty at the, after I open up prayer for you to do business with the Lord. The Bible says to come to the Lord's table and take it in an appropriate manner. I mean, if there's any sin that you're harboring, if there's any uh, relational issues in particular with other Christians that you're, you have right now, repent of these things before the Lord, and then come take communion in a worthy manner. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we open this time of prayer. Spirit of God, I pray that you will minister to us. Bring to mind the things that we need to uh, repent of. Bring, please bring to mind the things that we need to take to you before, so that we could take communion in a worthy manner. Take a few moments here, brothers and sisters. Father, sanctify us, Lord. We want to become more like your son. Elevate our love for your son from one level to another. Elevate our Christ-likeness from one level to another. Allow us to be, present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to you, God. Help us to worship you in everything that you've given us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.